right? Like, uh, how do I change my running form? Like, no, I don't, we don't change my running form. Like I run the way I run. And that's not the case, right? Like it is a highly skilled activity. And some people will debate me on this, but yeah, like it really is a, a highly skilled activity that we can address. And we really need to try to make a difference and try to make ourselves efficient as we can with it. So if you can run twice as far by just changing 10% of the stress on your body, like great. And a little bit goes a long way so you don't have to turn into perfect running form is not the goal it doesn't even exist there is no perfect running form it small changes make a huge difference if you have ever asked yourself how do i run a race injury free or get out of the constant injury cycle then this is the podcast for you Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. This episode is sponsored by Run DNA. Run DNA is a community of running specialists and athletes who share a passion for running. They are committed to state-of-the-art technological developments in motion analysis, running education, and tracking to enhance running training and performance. With a focus on personalized running plans, Run DNA works to treat runners as unique individuals to help them run faster and stay healthier. If you are a running professional, you can learn everything they never taught you in school about how to become a running specialist. The certified running gait analysis course teaches Run DNA's systematic approach to providing personalized plans for runners based on their runner readiness assessment and running gait category. The endurance running coaching course gives you the language and the know-how to be the go-to for your runners. More than just knowledge and skills, when you take Run DNA's course, you become part of a community looking to provide the level of service that runners deserve. If you're ready to become a true running specialist, you can learn more by going to www.rundna.com. Now let's get into this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 117 on the Healthy Runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. In today's episode, Dr. Doug Adams is going to simplify the complexity of running and share with us the five most common running flaws and how you can figure out if your running form is bad and needs some improvement. Doug Adams is a physical therapist, CEO of Run DNA System, owner of the Omega Project PT, and has published and spoken on an international level about all things related to running. 
Doug has taught thousands of professionals his systematic approach to providing personalized plans for runners through his certified run gait analysis and endurance coaching courses. He also designed and created a portable 3D motion analysis system called Helix 3D for analyzing and categorizing running form that is used widely throughout the Department of Defense and commercial sectors. Currently, Doug treats some of the top professional runners, both as a head physical therapist for Tin Man Elite and at his physical therapy clinic, Omega Project PT in Wilmington, Delaware, that specializes in treating runners. Run DNA is a complete movement-based training and treatment system that will get runners to ask for you by name. Thank you so much for accepting my invite to come on the show, Doug. No, honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, so runners, have you wanted to know more about your running form? Or have you considered getting a gait analysis done by a professional? Do you want to know what are the common running mistakes and how to avoid them? Or what you should do while running? Or what should you not do while running? Or how do you know if your running form is bad? In this episode, we are going to chat about the essential elements of running, which are not only important for runners to consider, but are extremely important for any medical and fitness professionals who listen to the show and help runners themselves. So if you want to gain some insight, confidence, and clarity on what your running professional measures and values for running, then this episode is for you. Doug is going to break down the phases of running that we go through. He's going to break down common running terminology like cadence, vertical oscillation, and pelvic drop. We use those terms frequently here on this podcast, so he's going to break down what they are. And then we're going to talk about the five most common running flaws. And then also, if we have time for it, there's a lot here, Doug, then we're going to get into some return to run guidelines, because I know many of you who listen to this show are maybe coming back from an injury or a surgery or a long layoff. So we're going to get into all of that. But Doug, we always start off every show with a little dynamic warm up. So this is where our listeners get to know you a little bit more about you. And I already shared your formal bio, but can you just tell us where you currently call home and give us a little bit more backstory on, you know, how you've gotten to this point in your uh, PT journey and career? Yeah, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a fun journey for sure. Uh, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware right now, grew up in Delaware and um, I think I got my start uh, in PT because of running injuries myself. I was one of those kids that got really bad shin splints and stress fractures as a cross-country kid. And that kind of set me down the path of learning a lot about it. And I just really never stopped. I was, you know, really fortunate to just be able to, to get a lot of mentorship and uh, throughout my whole time, really finding a lot of mentorship and doing those things. And it's made a a big difference and continued that on when I went to University of Delaware. That kind of, um, you know, then met my wife here in Delaware and we have three young kids and uh, have lots of fun. Delaware is actually a great place. It is a state, if you don't know that, the first state. And a lot of people are like <laughs> Delaware, Ohio. And it's like, no, Delaware is a state. Uh, more people know it now because the president is from here. But uh, the, it, before that, not a lot of people knew Delaware was an actual state, but I've just been, I, I, you know, self-proclaimed running nerd my whole life. Uh, really love the, I wasn't always the fastest runner, but I love knowing about running and really um, getting involved in a lot of that stuff and, and just really being able to learn as much as I could. It was always really interesting to me to learn. 
Yeah, well, you're from another uh, small state, so we're uh, here in Connecticut, and yeah. yeah, I think Delaware's probably, I don't know, landmass-wise, probably bigger, right, than Connecticut? Maybe. I don't know about population. Pe- I bet you have more people. No. We're <laughs> under a million. I know that we're under a million, so I think probably you guys have us on people for sure. Yeah, I know I've driven through like a corner of Delaware when I go down yeah. like 95 if I'm going down yeah, south. Yeah, like right? 13 miles of it. That's it. You're just in and out. There's like really nothing to see. And it's pretty much always under construction. And a uh, fun fact, during COVID, when there were no races, um, yeah. we decided to do a local kind of uh, virtual race here together yeah. on kind of our rail to trail pathway. And we decided to do the Delaware half marathon just because they gave nice. out really cool medals and they had yeah. really cool free Under Armour long sleeve tech shirts. And we were like, yeah, we're going to do the Delaware half. So I did they the Delaware did half. That this weekend. They just had it again this weekend. <laughs> yes, actually. it was right around yeah. this time, two years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They just did. They did a great job with it. Uh, one of our our own Leah Kate uh, from Monday Day ran it, did a great time there. Yeah, it was a great event. Nice. Um, yeah, so those are my only connections to Delaware. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you and I actually connected, uh, just so the listeners know, at our National Physical Therapy Conference, or our combined sections meeting. Um, I headed um, down to San Antonio, and I was looking forward to getting back into kind of the national conference scene. It was two years um, since I did the last national conference. And this year I was like super excited because we had what we call like a pre-con course, um, where it's a full day course and it was all about running. And Doug was one of the presenters. And once I heard Doug's presentation, I was like mind blown. And I loved his systematic approach to looking at, um, running form. And I just knew that I had to ask him to come on the show. So I'm very excited to, uh, have him here today to share with you all of his knowledge and experience in working with all the runners that I kind of mentioned, um, in the beginning. So this is going to be super educational for you guys who just like to learn more about running form and kind of analyzing, um, some of your running gait and what that all includes. So yeah, without further ado, Doug, let's get into this episode here. Let's uh, get into the essentials of running. So if we can just start out kind of with some of the basics on what are the phases of running that we go through or like the biomechanics, um, really just kind of from a basic running gait cycle standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is really important for all runners to really know. We were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started and hopped on the live board here that, you know, running is a really highly skilled activity, actually. And we should try to be a student of the sport and understand the mechanics of it. One of the uh, research studies that I'll often quote is that they took these pretty high level runners, like masters and collegiate runners, and they asked everybody, where do you land? Do you land on your heel or do you land more on the front of your foot? And less than 50% of people could actually tell that accurately what part of their foot they landed on and that's like really small for the whole biomechanics thing right that's a really small like fairly obvious thing and less than half of runners can actually tell you where they're landing so it's because it's such a highly uh, skilled sport and because something a term we use a lot like running economy think like miles per gallon for your car, because that's so important, biomechanics is a big part of that. And we should really understand the biomechanics. So the way that we start with that is by breaking it down by phase, because uh, there's a couple different events that happen 
as part of running and having a common language is really helpful to describe it. So the first one that we talk about is initial contact. And this is when the foot hits the ground. And that's pretty easy to define, right? Foot hits the ground, that's initial contact. There's, that's a part that we really pay attention to people's posture when they're in that. If they're in a good posture, that really sets them up for their time on the ground to absorb and generate force really well. Then as they start to progress over top of their leg, then we see that we get to mid stance. And this is the point where your foot is basically right underneath of your hip. Um, and a lot of times, not all the times, but most of the time, this is where we've kind of absorbed as much force as we're going to before we start pushing back off to try and propel ourselves forward. And this is where we see a lot of our biggest ranges of motion. So this is where your knees often bent most. This is where if your knees are coming together, this is gonna happen the most. Terms we're gonna talk about later, like contralateral pelvic drop. This is kind of like the culmination point where a lot of that stuff, if it's gonna go wrong, it's probably gonna go wrong right around this mid stance portion. And then if we progress through, then it, we get to the toe off or the terminal stance phase. And this is a point where from initial contact to mid stance, we're really absorbing force. And sometimes this is called the absorption phase. Then from mid stance to toe off, we're generating force. And the cool thing is, is that our, a lot of this could actually be done passively. Another study I always like to quote is that if you're in a good posture, right, with good form and good technique, our tendons and our muscles act like rubber bands and they can return 95% of the energy that we absorb back into pushing us forward. So if you have good posture and technique, you get a lot of return on that, all that work that you did to absorb the force when your foot hit the ground, you're going to get that back and you're going to propel forward. So then after that, we go through the swing phase where we're then the leg is off the ground and we're swinging and recovering. Um, and a lot of people don't pay attention to the swing phase, but it actually is a really important phase because this is where you're setting your body up to be in the right posture so that when your foot hits the ground, you're ready to go through that absorbing and generating forces again. So kind of at a, there, there's other terminology for that, but that's one that I think is really kind of easy to understand and grasp. And this is how we define uh, events around running biomechanics. Oh, great. Thank you for clarifying that and simplifying that. And I always think about that study that you talked about now when I break down uh, the runners that I work with and their gait, you know, analysis. And I say, you know, do you know if you strike with your heel or your midfoot? And when they get it wrong and they see it for themselves, I'm like, yeah, do you know, it's actually fairly common that most runners actually don't actually, you know, know how they strike the ground at that initial contact phase. Um, so I, I think about you every time when I'm talking to my runners and educating them on that. So thank you for sharing uh, that study with me. Um, but yeah, so it's really kind of going through like three basic phases, kind of when our mm -hmm. foot hits the ground, we're absorbing forces. And then we're yep. going through that mid stance phase where we're in, you know, all of our body weights over that one leg. And then we're propelling ourselves kind of forward and going into that kind of swing phase. All right. Right. Excellent. Yeah. And so let's get into some clarification on some kind of common terms that runners, you know, who listen to this podcast and other podcasts may have heard before, um, but really aren't sure what they mean. So can you just kind of, um, you know, give us a little definition of what this term means and maybe share either what's considered quote unquote normal or, mm -hmm 
you know, if this is something we should be worried about, is this something we should be tracking, measuring, um, right. or is a common like fault in many runners? So I guess the first one I want to kind of cover is cadence. What is cadence? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really is cool because we can get this information now, right? This isn't abstract to runners anymore. We actually like, you know, with our wearable <laughs> devices, we can get this information. Actually, I did a study that validated uh, a lot of this information that we get from like our heart rate monitors and our wearable devices, we published a study that looked at it and said, hey, compared to a 3D motion analysis system, are these accurate? And we found for the most part, they really actually are uh, good and, and they're fairly reliable measures. So and this stuff is stuff that's important to you, especially if you know running nerd like me, you really like the numbers thing. So um, cadence is probably the term most people are familiar with. And Another way to think of this, another term, if you read any running literature, is it's step rate. So it's basically the number of steps per minute that you're taking. Um, and some people define it at like for normative value. Some people define it by one leg, but more commonly, it's defined by both legs. So uh, how many times the left and the right foot hit the ground in a minute there? So we've all heard that number 180 before, and I always laugh oh, yeah. a little bit, right, when I, when I hear the 180. Uh, because there is no magic number for that, but we do have some general guidelines about cadence. We know uh, from a low end, when you're below 168, there is some literature to say, if you're taking 168 or fewer steps per minute, that you might be on the low side, and this might put you at increased risk of injury. I'll put a little asterisk with that, that I think taller uh, people might have a little bit more wiggle room on this there just uh, because of some different proportions. Um, so that is kind of one of those, if you're below that, that might be something that if you're having pain or if you're having some issues or looking to boost performance, um, altering your cadence might help out. Uh, and then we hear that 180 number a lot. And that came from a track meet where they took the top 10% of female elite runners and averaged their cadence and says, 180 sounds good. Uh, and that I'm not an elite female runner. Uh, so that might not be the optimal cadence for me as it probably is not the optimal cadence for a lot of people there. I think one of the more important things is that altering cadence, changing it, trying to increase it most often is what people are doing is oftentimes uh, can possess some risk, right? Because if you change your cadence too much too quickly, it's gonna change how your body absorbs forces and the muscles you're using. So you had to be really careful about not changing this number and going from like 150 to 180, right? If we see five, seven and a half, 10% changes are more than enough to reduce some of the forces acting on us when we run. So small changes really have a big effect on us. Actually, um, I don't know if, if you saw this study, but there was a really cool study that we just talked, you know, we're talking about running form and all those kind of things. And hopefully people are asking and thinking about like, why does this matter for me? Right? Like, why should I care? Um, and there was a really awesome study that came out in JOSPT and I'm drawing a blank on the author's name right now. I know one of the secondary authors uh, was Rich Willie, um, but there was, it, what the study showed was that um, if you can run with 10% less force with each step, you can run twice as far before your body's tissues would break down. 
So if you're somebody that gets Achilles issues or shin pain, if you can just reduce the stress by 10%, you can run twice as far before your body starts breaking down. Like that's really easy to do. Like a little bit goes a long way with this. So hopefully people, cause there is this stigma, right? And I'm sure you see this too, right? Oh, yeah. People are always like, my form is my form. What do you mean? Right? Like, how do I change my running form? Like, no, I don't, we don't change my running form. Like I run the way I run. And that's not the case, right? Like it is a highly skilled activity. And some people will debate me on this, but yeah, like it really is a highly skilled activity that we can address and we really need to try to make a difference and try to make ourselves efficient as we can with it. So if you can run twice as far by just changing 10% of the stress on your body, like great. And a little bit goes a long way. So you don't have to turn into perfect running form is not the goal. It doesn't even exist. There is no perfect running form. It small changes make a huge difference. Okay. That's definitely helpful. And you made me feel a lot better about myself because I, I struggle to stay around 170. I'm like a 169, 170 steps per minute guy. Perfect. I do have longer legs than torso. Yep. So I don't know if that helps. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. The ratios do, right? Uh, it's, uh, you know, there's like the Michael Phelps of the world that have the, like a, you know, a five foot nine inseam. And then there's other people that have the opposite, right? So, um, yeah, we are all a little bit different. That's why we, that's why personalization is something we teach at Red DNA because we're, you know, we can't treat everyone with shin pain the same. We have to find a way to really tailor what each person needs uh, and give them a plan that matches their individual needs. Yeah. And I, I just would agree with what you said, as far as like trying to change too much and going too right. drastic, because I've seen a lot of runners do that and wind up getting pain in other places um, or just kind of overthinking things too much. And for cadence, for me, I've never done the whole formal kind of, you know, gate retraining for cadence um, per se with the metronome and really kind of formalizing it. For me, I've really just done it more informal at the beginning, the end of my easy runs, because you yeah. find that those are the ones that a lot of times mentally, we kind of just lose ourselves, whether you're losing yourself Check in the out. environment, a podcast, you're listening to music, whatever. Um, and sometimes we can get a little quote unquote lazy in those runs, mm -hmm. right? Because we're not going at a hard effort. And sometimes we just slow that, that cadence down. So I've just tried to be more mindful of always kind of remembering. And now, like you said, with the wearables, it's kind of nice where I can look down and be like, okay. what is my cadence right now okay yeah. i'm in my zone that i should be around and you know i'm not getting too kind of lazy with a leg turnover and that's what i yeah. always tell you know those runners that have a trouble doing their easy runs easy right and we're trying to slow their pace down a lot of times yeah. i find if we slow their pace down they start getting lazy and they slow their cadence down right and that's the tricky part is to run slow enough but not you know start really slowing that cadence down do you also see that as well is yes. Yeah. It, um, it is something that we, as we fatigue, even like neuromuscular fatigue, so our nervous system, um, sometimes it's harder to keep up that cadence and we will see a little bit of, you know, a degradation of, of cadence as we go. Um, uh, but you know, for the people, I'll, I'll give you a little caveat. Like, so one thing, like Cadence can be really helpful for a lot of people if they're having injuries. And if you don't have access to get a gait analysis, if there's not somebody nearby, like that can be a really good first step. Like we said, just do a little bit, but I've done thousands of gait analysis now on 3d, right? We, we do a ton of gait analysis 
And I would say less than a quarter of the time does changing cadence actually improve a lot of the other things we're looking for for running form. It really doesn't make a big difference in some of those other things. So if you try doing cadence and it doesn't really feel natural for you, there's a better cue for you out there. There's something better mm -hmm. that you can do that will be much more natural. Like when we do a gait analysis, one of the things that I'm like addicted to and love is when a runner tells me, wow, that feels easier. You even see them run forward and it's like they're trying not to just run faster because it feels so much less effort. And they're like, this feels better. And I'll tell you, like, cadence less than a quarter of time is what we're doing to get there uh, although it's a really easy one and i don't want to say that like you shouldn't change your cadence you shouldn't do those things it's really easy but it doesn't always change your form and there's a lot of other things that we can do that would actually make a much more significant impact on your running economy and and how you're moving Ooh, great teaser i do want to learn more about that okay yeah excellent yeah. Hey, healthy runners, have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the strategies we talk about on a weekly basis? If so, kudos to you for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys are trying to implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself, that is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one -on -one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one -one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one -on -one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online personalized structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners and then access to our trusted healthy runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Check out the behind the scenes video tour of the program and hear from runners just like you who have been through our program before. We would love to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training, whether it is getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one -on -one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. So let's get into, I know cadence was like a big common topic everyone's heard, but let's get into maybe some quick rapid fire definitions of kind of Perfect. like ground contact time. What does that mean? Yep. How long your foot's on the ground, right? It's like that stance phase, how long that is. 
Um, and most of the time, unless you're working sometimes with the elites, less is better, right? Uh, I look around 200 milliseconds or so is if you're a faster recreational runner, that's kind of a benchmark that we'll see where we'll see that um, uh, elites are in the 150 to 160 kind of range. They get off the ground a lot faster. Um, and this plays in rapid fire to that term stiffness, I think was one of the other things that we were mm -hmm. talking about. Stiffness is like how springy you are. Do you go through a lot of motion? You have low stiffness. Or do you go through very little motion? You have high stiffness. You have a lot of recoil with this. So some of those can be, there's a lot more that goes into stiffness, but ground contact time and stiffness can be talking about similar things for why we care about those numbers. So do we strive as runners to kind of be more stiff and have less motion that we go through? Does that indicate we're stronger and can recoil better? You know, stiffness is one of those things that we are still really understanding and still diving into more in the literature. We haven't been able to relate it too much to injuries there. Um, from a performance standpoint, I do see elite performers with a higher stiffness. And I will see that when people change their form, their stiffness will go up when they say this feels easier. So I kind of look at it and the way I explain it to people is like, how much passive effort are you getting out of your running? Like how much passive return do you get? So if you go through a little bit more stiffness, maybe you're using that elasticity a little bit better where you're loading that big, long Achilles tendon that we have, you're getting more recoil out of that. And if your foot's on the ground for a long time, you're not always getting as much of that recoil. Um, whereas if it's shorter, you're kind of loading it and then explode, load, explode, right? In strength and conditioning, we call it like stretch shortening cycle. And we look at that and you want to limit that time between when you stretch uh, and then when you go back and shorten there. So it's, um, the, it's still something, and it's something we've explored a lot because our 3D system measures stiffness. And I found it's really fascinating and kind of on the performance side, uh, we can really use it as a measure to see how efficient they are. And we do look for asymmetry to see like, uh, you know, not to go too much on the PT topic, but ACL patients, right? ACL patients will have a high amount of stiffness on their surgical side because they're not bending their knee very much mm. where on the other side, they're going through a little bit more motion. So too much stiffness can be a bad thing too, in certain respects, because they're not using it. So we look for symmetry. And we tend to like a higher number up to a certain point. Okay. All right. Thank you for that clarification. How about vertical oscillation? I've heard a little bit about that being an important um, variable that I should be tracking on my Garmin. And I know it does measure that when I wear my yeah. chest strap, the vertical oscillation. What is that? That's the Goldilocks number. Yeah, that's, that's the one you want to be just right. Okay. So this is one that... If it's the amount of motion, you go from your highest point to your lowest point. So the way that we measure this with our 3D system is there's a marker on your back. And it's, a re it's one of the simplest things we measure. What's the height at the peak? And what's the height at the lowest point? And that's your vertical oscillation, how much you go up and down. So if you think about it, you don't want to go up and down more than you have to because you want to be directing as much of your force forward as you can. 
Makes so sense. you need enough up and down to clear the ground, right? And that's why I call it the Goldilocks. If you're too low, you're like shuffling, right? You're you're walk, you're doing the speed walk kind of thing that we all saw in the Olympics, right? You're not getting enough. They call this like a gaucho type posture. Um, but if you have too much, then you're going up and down more than you're going forward. So we really want to find that just right. And if you're looking at your watch, um, the range that we typically look for is like six to nine. Yeah, and there's uh, if you're below that, that's pretty low. If you're at ten, it's a little high. If you're eleven, it's definitely high. And if you get more than that, like I had somebody once at fifteen, and I was like, "You just look like you're jumping." Um, <laughs> so uh, it was. Uh, I find that in soccer players, interestingly, all the time yeah. because they kind of run upright when they're playing soccer to receive the ball and to kind of see the field. So I see uh, soccer players that transition to running as recreational, they tend to bounce up and down a good bit. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, how about contralateral pelvic drop? I know this is something that I see a lot in many yes. runners. Um, what, is, what is that? So when we stand on one leg, our glutes, which everyone hears a lot about our glutes and running now, right? It's like where core used to be like 10 years ago. Everyone learns about <laughs> their like glutes now, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a common term. And so one of the roles, yeah, one of them uh, is to keep our body level and to keep us from falling over to the opposite side when we're running. So when you're standing, you can try this if you want. Stand on your left leg. Um, if you're in a safe position to do so, not if you're like driving, listen to this or doing something, but stand on your left leg and your glutes. So right around your hip bone and your pelvis there, they keep you from falling over to the right. Right. And so when you're doing that, if your glutes aren't working to the capacity that you need them to, then you may experience the right side when you're on your left leg dropping below at your pelvis below that left side so we call it like left up right down um, with that now again why does this matter there's a really cool study that showed that every one degree difference in pelvic drop compared to the other side so let's we, we look at it on both sides so let's say that you're three degrees of drop when you're on your left leg but you're eight degrees of drop when you're on your right leg there's a five degree difference Every one degree drop is an 80% more likelihood that you're going to be injured. So wow. there's a 400% increased chance of you being injured if we see an asymmetry with that. Now, the actual number does matter a little bit. If we start to see excessive numbers in that, you know, 8 to 12 range there for pelvic drop when we're measuring degrees, um, that is something that we uh, is just excessive. If we saw that on both sides, we'd be worried. But what we more often see is that they'll drop on one side and they almost always can relate that back to, oh yeah, that's the side I always get injured on, right? I always have IT band issues on that side. Mm -hmm. I always get knee pain or Achilles pain or back pain. And it, we can relate that a lot of times to where they have increased contralateral pelvic drop. Yeah, no, such a common one. So I'm glad that you highlighted that. And I know that's been linked to IT band syndrome. Uh, yeah. I know you brought that up. And, you know, if we can correct that, that's like, yeah, that's huge, huge at that getting rid of IT band pain. Um, and then lastly, what about trunk lean? I know there's been some talk about that. Like, do we lean forward? Do we lean back? Do we go straight up? Um, what is trunk lean? 
So trunk lean, uh, we're measuring really like imagine a line going from your ankle through your knee joint, through your hip, up to your shoulder, right? So like a line that just goes right down the side of your body. And then just imagine leaning that forward or backward. So trunk lean, we want you to lean a little bit forward. This is something that actually changes throughout the gait cycle, right? So when you land an initial contact, your trunk lean will be lower. And then as you progress towards terminal stance, you'll actually start to increase the lean angle because we're falling forward. A lot of people have described running as like a series of consecutive falls. And what we're doing is we land a little bit upright, but then by the time we get to mid stance, we should be more. And then by the time we go into terminal stance, we should be even more of a lean angle. So it's important that we note and a lack of lean angle um, can contribute to some of the things like excessive vertical oscillation. It can um, change which muscle groups we're using because we're not leaning forward enough. And it's, I think it's always important when you talk about lean, that lean comes from the ankles, not from the hips, right? We don't want to just bend forward at the waist and look at the ground. We are falling forward like you're running uphill or into a stiff wind. Excellent. So really kind of highlighting the need for some ankle mobility as well as control yes. of those muscles on the back of your your shin, your um, soleus muscle, right? So the, our calf yeah. muscles that controlling uh, some of that lean and that kind of falling forward, if you will, or controlled uh, falling forward. So excellent. Thank you for clarifying those terms. And now I really want to get into, because I think the listeners are going to really appreciate kind of your systematic approach and how you've classified these most common running flaws that you see. And you've kind of really broken them into like five different patterns or five different classifications. And I thought this was absolutely phenomenal when you presented this at conference. Um, so can you get into what these kind of five most common running flaws are? Yeah. And this uh, came from when we were doing a lot of research, I was lucky to work, like I said, with great mentors, uh, Rich Willey, Irene Davis at the University of Delaware. Um, you know, and what we saw is as, as part of doing research and analyzing a bunch of people in 3D, you know, we said there's not one correct way to run, but there's lots of incorrect ways to run. Uh, and some of these started to show up in patterns and started to say, wow, like there's some common themes that we're seeing here that people are doing them fairly consistently. Um, so we started identifying these five gate categories that we noticed that we have really been able to link these in the research world to those higher forces. So when we talked about, hey, if we can reduce 10%, we can run twice as far. Those forces are often linked to these common categories that we see. Um, so this is what we really, we started teaching our courses on this called Certified Running Gate Analyst. Um, and we started doing this and then we built our 3D device with this. And we put this, when we started working a lot with the Air Force, they asked us to actually put an algorithm into the computer that would interpret this and tell you what it is. Um, and the cool thing is for the runners, like it, it really helps to visualize it and people kind of own these categories. So it's kind of funny. They're like, hey, I'm a overstrider. Oh, I'm a glued amnesiac, right? And they, <laughs> they talk about it. And they, they, you know, it's like, oh yeah, what do you? Um, so it really is helpful. And, and, but I think the most important thing before we kind of go into them is each one has a distinct plan, right? So it's not just about identifying it, but each one has 
drills, stretches, strengthening, things that we should really do in order to actually change the form. Because who cares about measuring something if you don't know whether you should change it or how to change it? It's just kind of yep. a, kind of a gimmick unless you actually have an idea of what to do to change it there. So uh, I'll talk about probably the most common one first is our overstrider. And this is one that we see very commonly here. This is the person that lands with their foot too far in front of their body at initial contact. And if you do this, like if you stand up again here, I like people to move and not, not sit around too much here. They stand and like reach your leg out way in front of you. Like you're taking a big step walking. Right. And if you look at the position that you're in, your foot will be kind of pointed towards the sky. Your knee will be very straight and your leg will be far out in front of you. Now, if you just paused and took had somebody take a picture of you, it would look like you're slowing down more than you're speeding up. And this is how a lot of people land at initial contact. And we find that there's a very high braking force and running is hard enough. We don't need to try and slow down between every step, right? We, we don't want these high braking forces. So we see that people often overstride and land too far in front of their body. So that first one is defined. This is why we went over some of those concepts before. It's defined by at initial contact, your foot lands too far in front of your body. Now, if you want to see if you're an overstrider, what you can do is get somebody to take a video of you from the side or look at one of your old race photos. Make sure you get as close to like perpendicular to the side as you can. And then when you run, look at the point at your, that, that your foot hits the ground. Draw a line straight up from your ankle bone. If that line goes in front of your knee, you're overstriding. And that is a really easy way to kind of look at it and say, I'm overstriding because my foot's landing far in front of your body. Because there will be some variation for height and some other mechanics and things that we see. But that's a really easy way to know if, hey, maybe you're an overstrider. Yeah. And if I agree, that is one of the most common things that I see myself. Um, are there any recommendations? I know you kind of mentioned there's a whole like treatment plan essentially. Um, but is there any like quick things that if someone was listening um, and they wanted to try to improve kind of overstriding that they can do or think about? Yeah, you know, this is where the cadence comes in a lot. So um, that's one of the first things we check with an overstrider. If they're very low cadence, we will start to do some cadence, even if we know it's not going to change their form. We just want them to get used to a faster cadence and let their body adjust to some of the different forces before we try some of the other cues. So that's often low hanging fruit. If that feels better, that can be one of those things that you can do. And that's why we said earlier, like, you know, don't throw cadence out. It can still be really useful. Just realize that there might be other ways that you can change your form to do the same thing. So we actually, in our level two certified running gait analysis course, and as, as we started to do a lot more gait analysis, we realized that there's actually subtypes of overstriders. So the algorithm in our device and in what we teach in the course really identifies that there's subgroups. And what those subgroups are, it actually shows you which cue might work best for you. Um, mm -hmm. So there's there's more to it that meets the eye with it. And and but the cadence is a really good place to start. Yeah, if you want to see if if that makes a difference, and do the same thing, take another video and see if it looks better after you up your cadence a little bit. 
All right. So we got our first common running flaw is you're an overstrider. It's kind of like running with the parking brake on. You're basically hitting that ground a little harder. Those forces are coming up through your leg. Could be a contributing factor to whether you have shin splints, knee pain commonly, right? Um, will kind of produce uh, some oh, of yeah. those uh, types of problems. So what is the second category? So the second category is, you know, the first category, like you just, you did a really nice summary of that, that it's, it's kind of a high force one for overstriding, right? Now, the next one is, it's not always high force. It can be related to high forces, but a lot of times now you're putting the forces in the wrong place, right? And so our body does really well with absorbing force when it's lined up the way that our body is supposed to absorb force, okay? So Think about the way our body works is we absorb things in series, right? So we line up this muscle fiber and there's all these little parts of the muscle. And when you line it up and go in series with it, it can absorb a lot of force. But if you're going diagonal and you're not loading it up in the way that our body is designed, we can't handle much force because it's not being oriented in the way that our body is meant to absorb force. So the, the, this is our collapser that we call. So you've probably seen or done this yourself, not you, but the audience here, but you've probably seen that, that runner that it looks like their knees are always knocking, right? Their knees are kind of coming together. We call this the knee window. If you look at it, there's no space between their knees. They have um, like a, an opening between them. And that's what we commonly see. There's a lot that goes into it. You can have collapsing at the hip, at the knee, at the foot, like there's lots of places that collapsing can occur, but basically you lose what we call the frontal plane or transverse plane battle and you're, everything kind of collapses inward. Um, and that can be, like we said, due to high forces, but it can also be towards, you know, just your ability to control your body in space. And maybe the glutes aren't strong enough to handle the forces that you're doing, or uh, maybe your ankle, we talked about ankle stiffness, right? Maybe your ankle is too stiff, and it can't load up the way that it should. And you have to twist your body to absorb force instead of load your ankle straight up and down like we're designed to. So if overstriding is high forces, collapsing is forces in the wrong place. And this can be really related to, again, things like stress fractures, um, shin splints, Achilles issues, knee pain, IT band pain, hip pain, like all plantar fasciopathy, like all of those things can be related um, because collapsing happens at multiple joints. Yeah. So it's like that at the foot, like you're over pronating, right? Some people might yeah. be familiar with that term that they're over pronating or even that um, outside of the hip pain, right? That trochanteric yeah. bursitis that uh, people will, yeah. will call uh, that outside of the hip pain if you're a runner and you've suffered from that. And so this one, this collapsing is also synonymous or, um, or I guess I should rephrase this before you talked about contralateral pelvic drop. If yeah. we're having excessive contralateral pelvic drop, then do we fall in this collapsing category? Yes. Yeah. Just like we have the subcategories for the overstrider that we noticed a couple subcategories for this collapser. Okay. Um, and we, yeah, cause actually, you know, we talk about these five and for our medical uh, listeners out there, there's actually 12 categories um, and they're based off of these main five ones, but um, contralateral pelvic drop is something that we commonly see in collapsers. Okay. So 
collapsers, they're almost too loose. They're not stiff enough and things are collapsing down, whether it's from the hip, the knee, the foot and ankle, it's kind yeah. of going in. Those knees are going in. Um, you may or may not have that pelvic drop going on. Okay. So that's the second classification. So what's the third classification? Next, we kind of go into a few that we see uh, and some of these are a little funny. Uh, so we'll talk about the bouncer, right? So the bouncer is that person who has excess vertical oscillation, meaning they're going up and down too much instead of going forward. Um, and a lot of times we'll see this, somebody that has a lot of hip tightness uh, or hip weakness will see a lot of this bouncing type mechanics um, because they can't get into that trunk lean angle that we were talking about, that forward lean. Sometimes they have a little trouble getting into that position. Um, so we'll see that a lot of vertical oscillation, so a lot of up and down. So that's our bouncer. Um, and it, this is simple physics, right? What goes up must come down. So if you're going and you're coming and accelerating down towards the ground from a higher height, the ground's going to accelerate back at you more aggressively, right? So equal and opposite reaction, right? So that's what we see with this bouncer. Um, this is obviously not something you could tell in me. If you're watching the video, uh, you'll see that I uh, am pretty <laughs> much bald here. Uh, so, but in a female or somebody with long hair, uh, you will see, I call it the ponytail sign, right? So you'll see the, the ponytail kind of going up and down a lot when somebody is bouncing up and down. So that's something that you could observe to see if maybe you're a bit of a, a bouncer there. All right. So the bouncer is like Tigger, right? It's kind of like yes. bouncing up and down like or that. that ponytail yeah. is uh, <laughs> flying around uh, a lot. Or if you were watching like two friends running in front of you, if you're like on the trail or at a race, and you're like comparing ponytails. You're like, which one is more of a bouncer? This Who's one's got, <laughs> right. We're all, all right. judging everyone now, right? Like everyone's <laughs> going to go out and say, oh, you're an overstrider and you're oh a bouncer. Goodness. And yo, uh, yeah. So we're, we're all judging, right? Cause we can, Absolutely. cause we're all perfect runners. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I know any of the, uh, kind of running professionals out there, whether you're a medical professional, fitness professional, like, come on, you're out there for at least like for a half marathon or a marathon, you're watching running, right? You're watching gate. You're looking at yeah. people in front of you. You're like, oh, wow, yeah. man, those knees are coming in, you know, and I've seen like the most inefficient runners in front of me yeah. and it gets me mad. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. wow, their running looks like that, but Hey, they're going faster than me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I give them some credit. Could run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we got the bouncer as the third. So now what about the fourth classification or most common kind of running flaw? Yeah, we'll say um, probably glute amnesiac would be the next one. And this is, uh, I'm dating myself a little bit. This is like the weekend at Bernie Runner that is just kind of like leaning back and taking their butt for a run, right? So th this person has a very low forward lean angle. Actually, a lot of times they're leaning the opposite direction. They're leaning backwards. And what this does is it reduces the stress on the demands of your glutes, but it shifts the weight and puts more stress on the front of your knees. So anybody that's had anterior knee pain um, and has been seen to have a low lean angle, that glued amnesiac, this can be a savior for you. I actually have a funny story about this. I had um, this big executive. Uh, he was like a CEO of a big, big, big company here. And he said, 
you know, I want to have three days of your time and I'm going to fly down to Delaware and I need you to fix my running form. I want to be a runner for life. I've got some races coming up. I need you to fix it. Okay. So I was like, all right, sure. You're going to pay for all my time to do this. Like, great. Okay. Come on down. Uh, and we go and I do a gait analysis on him. And overall, his form is pretty good, but he was a clear cut glute amnesiac, right? He had anterior knee pain. He had patella pain on both sides. And he's like, I just, you know, after about a mile or two, my knees are just killing me. So we go, we analyze them. I have them. I'm like, all right, well, hey, let's try something. Why don't you try leaning forward? And he's like, he looks at me. He's like, that doesn't hurt. And I'm like, okay, well, let's run for a little bit. And like, so we run and like, he just keeps running on the treadmill. I was like, all right, any pain? He's like, no, none at all. So we keep going. We get to like two miles. We get to like three miles. And he's like, I have zero pain. And he's like, treadmills are normally worse for me. So he's like, I think you fixed me. And so he like, I was like, well, come back tomorrow morning. Like, let's check it. So he ran again on the treadmill, no pain. And he was like, all right, I'm done. He just left for the, you know, he, he <laughs> flew back home, got in his private jet, flew home. It's like, I'm all better. So sometimes when you find the point of that story is like, when you find the right cue, it's normally is that like light, light bulb moment. Like, oh, wow, that really feels better. And that's really why we created these is like, this, this really does make a difference there. I love it. So really identifying what the kind of root cause is, and then just giving something simple like the cue that you mentioned and seeing if right. that kind of shuts that pain off. Excellent. So that glute amnesiac or amnesia mm -hmm. is kind of like leaning back a little bit, like weekend at right. And most people who are listening to this podcast probably get that reference, by the way. Okay. Uh, good. All right. <laughs> and so let's get to the fifth uh, category. What's that one? Yeah. Weaver. Okay, so this is a person, when we talk about weaving, um, think about step width, right? We, we've talked about overstriding and stride and step count, and we, you know, we talk about how long your stride is, um, but we also are concerned about how wide your step width is, right? So um, I'll tell you the cue that we use for people, and it'll help to explain this, okay? So when somebody is running and they have, they're a weaver, if they were to run down a road, they would have one foot, they would, they would have both feet hitting the line, right? And I'd, I'd encourage you if you're doing this, like use the white line, not the yellow lines in the middle of the road, right? Um, but uh, if you're trying to not weave, one of the cues that we say is, hey, try to just hit the line with one foot. Don't let both feet hit the line at the same time as you're running down a straight road, or if you're running down a track and your foot, one foot's on the line in between the lanes, if you're a weaver, both feet will be on that line. But if you're not a weaver, you'll see that there's a little bit of separation and there's some width. Now, the faster we run, the narrower we run because it's a little easier to balance that way when we're going high force. But especially when you're doing your low, you know, long, slow distance kind of stuff, you want to make sure that you're having good um, step width, we call this. And we see this most commonly in people that have IT band syndrome. We'll see this, and a group that we see a lot in is our trail runners, because our trail runners are used to running very narrow on the trails, so they'll often have a narrow base of support, and we'll see some of these weaving mechanics. Oh, makes sense. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so that's our kind of fifth category is that weaver, a narrow base of support. It's almost like 
running on a tightrope, right? Those feet are yeah. coming close together. Um, when we look at this, you know, if you recorded anyone like on a treadmill, you'll definitely see that almost like a crossover pattern, you know? Um, and yeah, I think you had mentioned this as well, you know, on a treadmill, it's kind of simple as well, right? If you wanted to either draw a line or if you could put tape right on your treadmill, it'd be a matter yeah. of like, just not hitting that tape with the same foot, right? Or yeah, on, exactly. with the opposite feet, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Keep a little separation there. Yeah. And then, so thank you so much. And I, I hope that was helpful for you guys, as you think about analyzing, if you are a running professional and you're looking at a lot of running videos like I am, and you know, it really helped me honestly simplify the process. So that's why I just love your whole system and your approach. And if you know you're a runner, can you relate to one of these? Right? Do you think you are one, you know, versus the other? And you know, my question to you is: Have you had aches and pains in the past? And can you correlate? that maybe it might be associated to your running form. And the last topic, Doug, that I really uh, think that you can, you know, help our listeners out with is, you know, the topic of return to run guidelines. And, you know, as um, your runner coming back from an injury, surgery, COVID, maybe you haven't run in a year or two, um, cold winters, you take off for three months, and then you're starting to, you know, you get that first, uh, Thing of spring air though today in Connecticut uh, we've had like record low temperatures for March 28th um, at the time of this recording so but we've had some warmer days and it like hit 70 degrees within yeah. the last two weeks so as as runners are starting to get outside again um, you know what are some kind of general return to run guidelines that you like to recommend um, for your runners yeah, for my athletes, a lot of times I give a couple general guidelines and rules to help out. And then we have some some regimented plans that we use and, and can give a little bit of both. So um, one of the first rules I always tell them, you can always do more next time, but you can't do less than you already did. Right. Ooh, so I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> go for I'm going right? to steal <laughs> that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's very true. Right. Like if you feel good and you felt like, wow, that was easy. Great. Run more next time. But if you go and you run like, oh, I did too much. That might set you back a couple of days. Right. And I always one of the things uh, this is, um, you know, we just did uh, like an endurance coaching course. And we, we talked a lot about some of the same same things in there. But running goals are long term. Right. We are committed to run and like your goals shouldn't necessarily be measured in days or weeks. It's, it's like months or years that we should measure our progress with running. And it's such a great lifelong activity to do. And if we start with that mindset, it becomes a lot easier to go slow to go fast. Right. So that's another saying that we go like go slow to go fast. You have to start slow not only just in the speed that you're running, but in how quickly you're progressing. Now, one of the things uh, we have in the Run DNA app, um, we have uh, we measure training load. And when we look at training load, that's kind of like a, a number that we put to how much and how hard you're running, which is a really important concept for runners, right? So if you think about a return to run program, we measure something called acute to chronic workload ratios. So how much running have you been doing in the past week versus maybe how much running have you been doing for the preceding four weeks? And 
your chronic load, what you've been doing in the preceding four weeks, will prepare your body for the acute load that you're doing in this past seven day period. So when you're doing something like a return to run program, your chronic load is zero, right? So progressing, even what seems modestly, is a big progression when you compare to what your body is chronically prepared to do. So that's why, you know, we basically we've, we've talked about two principles, right? Uh, you know, the, the second one that we said is go slow to go fast, right? And the first one was you can always do more next time, but you can't do less than you did, right? And then once we talk about that, the next thing that we kind of talk about is soreness rules and listening to your body because no one run is worth getting injured for. That's kind of our third principle there. If, if you're running just because it's on your schedule or just because you, you know, it, it's planned that you're going to the next level, it's not worth getting injured for. So you have to listen to your body because the consistency of running will get you far more than any single workout ever will. Right. So I think that's important with a lot of this return to run stuff is mindset uh, more so than the actual like, all right, run this for this long. It's the mindset of what you're doing while you're returning to running. So we give soreness rules that help guide people about what they should actually be doing and, and if what they did was too much. And in general, if you're sore for 24 hours, what you did is appropriate. You don't necessarily, you're not necessarily ready to progress if you're sore for that full 24 hours. But if you have soreness less than that, or it's really minor kind of soreness, you're like, yeah, no, that I'm okay. Like maybe I was tight for an hour when I got out of bed, then you're probably ready to bump it up, right? You can progress accordingly uh, and slowly so that you can get back to more of those things. But if you're sore longer than 24 hours, that is a sign that you are doing a little bit too much. Your body wasn't ready for the stress that you put on it. So we say it typically, if soreness lasts for 24 hours, then, you know, you need to uh, back it off a bit, like probably take a day off and even back down from the step that you did. Now, additionally from soreness rules, there, we'll talk about how soreness responds to warm up. So if you warm up, and the soreness goes away, you're okay to run. Let's say you're sore for that first 24 hours, but you warm up and everything feels good, good to go, right? Keep going at the level that you're at. If you're sore and it doesn't improve with warm up, you need to take some time off because your body isn't fully recovered. The, another principle that we really talk about with runners and exercise in general, this is something we cover in our endurance running course a lot. What is the purpose of any exercise? It's to recover from it better than you were when you did it in the first place, right? It's not to just get it done. It's not to do the next one. It's, hey, I did an exercise. I told my body I need to be better, faster, stronger next time. And then we give it enough recovery to actually be better, faster, stronger the next time. There is no point in exercising if you're not recovering, right? You are just beating your body up at that point. And I think runners in general, this is a really important message for runners. The recovery is the most important aspect of any workout that we do. I, I think that more than anything, we have to recover. And that comes from how we design our workouts, how we plan our recovery, 
and how we you know get ready for the next one so those are some principles that we really go through when it comes to not just return to run but any run planning and run training that we're doing there so um yeah so much gold so much gold here doug oh my goodness guys like i literally hope that you listen to this episode again and literally take notes because everything that Doug is saying is like liquid gold. And, you know, following these principles is super important in keeping you healthy and, you know, enjoying lifelong injury-free running, which is what we're all about here on this podcast. So yeah, Doug, I couldn't agree more. Um, this is just so helpful for runners who are looking to get back into it. And I like how you highlighted, you know, the mental side of things as well. And this is what we see in a lot of our athletes in our coaching program is, you know, they feel like they are, um, you know, not ready to actually go out there for their run, but sometimes we'll encourage them to do that little warm up and then see how they feel. And then they're surprised actually on how good they feel. Right. And then they got out there and they got their run in when normally they wouldn't have, right? Because they would right. have said, oh, I, I don't feel too good. Um, so everything you talked about is very common in a lot of runners and the recovery aspect is just so important. And I could personally relate to that last week. That was literally me. I had a high workload because of just workload midweek. I skipped the run. I made up miles in the end of the week. And then I doubled down on a hard plyometric session before mm. a long, long run session that I haven't done 12 in a while for my long run. And I was feeling it. And it was like that recovery day on Sunday was well needed. And I was doing everything in my power that all my tips and tricks for recovery, I was doubling down on that all day long. And I really got to appreciate the importance of recovery because of feeling that right? And if runners don't have that body awareness and they're able to adjust, you know, their plan and be able to recognize that that's when we start to see these overuse injuries popping up because our acute workload has, has gone so high that then our tissues start fighting back at us. Um, so such gold there, Doug, thank you so much um, for clarifying that. And now we're in the final stretch of this episode here. So Last question to you, Doug, is if you could change one thing about the misconception of running form or gait retraining, what would that be? That is a great question. If you could change one thing, I think um, the one thing I would change is, is the perception that you can't change your form. Uh, like you absolutely can change your form and it can actually make a huge difference there. I, I think that there is such a misconception out there that you know, people think that, oh, my running form is what it is, or I should just, I'll get more out of running um, by just running more, right? So it kind of goes aligned with that same myth, you know, if we're talking about maybe some myth busting or changing some things, like there's ways to get faster at running that don't involve running, right? I think that's another really important point. You don't just have to run to get to be a faster runner. We can learn how to do great mobility work. We can learn how to do great strength training, plyometric training. We can work on our form, our technique, our recovery. There's like a million things that we can do and more running isn't always the answer to how to get faster at running. Um, so for me, my little small niche is like, let's really work on form and technique 
um, and then match that up with solid training principles and you're going to see excellent results with it that way. So um, I think that that's the biggest thing I would change is just that mindset that people think, oh, my, my form is what it is and I can't change it. Well, I, I'm going to call you out on it and say, you know, you don't have to do much. Like we said earlier on, 10% can make a huge difference. And if you can just change 10%, then that's going to make a, a large impact on you running healthy for life, which is what I think a lot of runners really, whether you're at that point now or not, I've kind of gone through the transition of myself as like a really uh, competitive runner to like, I, I really like feeling good now. And like, I, if I hop in a race, like that's great. And I want to do well. And I still think my PRs are ahead of me, but but like, I just want to feel good. Yeah. So I think that that's a big part of it is let's, you know, let's focus on some of those things that aren't running that can make a big impact so that we can run for life. Yeah. Especially all of us, right. Who have kind of now run through COVID, right. Like, I think we just have such a different perspective on like what running does for our lives beyond just, you know, the PRs and trying to just chase down race times and just, be able to, to do it right on a consistent basis and to do it for longevity. So I agree. Um, Doug, there's certainly going to be many runners and many running professionals who really learned a lot from you. Your message resonates with them. Um, your approach to gate retraining, um, where can our healthy runner community connect with you? Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Love, uh, Always love talking running here. So uh, please reach out. So, um, so best ways, uh, Instagram, we are run DNA system or Doug Adams PT. I think both of those, uh, fairly active with some things. Um, if you're interested in learning more about courses and things, you know, we have a lot of courses that running professionals take. Um, but we actually are getting a lot of runners taking our endurance coaching course, I think one of the things, every runner has a coach. Every runner has a coach, right? It's just whether you're your own coach or you have somebody else. And I think that no matter what, it's really important that you understand, even if you're working with a coach, I think you should understand running principles and understand how that goes in. And if you are coaching yourself or um, looking to learn more, I think that you should um, really understand run training principles. So we have that course and you can find those at rundna.com and clicking on education. We've got our coursework there. Um, and one of the things we really try to promote too is our community. We have so many people that have taken our courses and we have running specialists throughout the country. And, and our mission, our goal is to really be this kind of like clearinghouse where runners can come to and find uh, like medical and fitness providers that have done these courses and really are passionate about working with runners. Um, so if you go to rundna.com, there's like a find a specialist on the website. And I'd encourage you, cool. like we have all over the world, like find people that have taken our courses, these certified running gate analysts and, um, you know, our, our endurance running coaches and like, or, you know, get with somebody like, you know, I couldn't speak more highly of Dwayne and what he's done and his company and, you know, using them. And, uh, you know, I, I think that runners on that coaching side of things, what I love what you guys have done. And I think what's really important is that not all runners think of a coach uh, because they think of the coach in the traditional sense of like showing up and, you know, starting the stopwatch and, and saying right. ready to go. But like, I think a lot of runners need a guide. 
right? There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think they need somebody that can really just give them a little bit of guidance, a little bit of accountability and a nudge in the right direction. And I think that people that work with coaches get so much more value than they ever thought out of it there. And I just can't speak highly enough of that. So whether your own coach or you're considering a coach, like do it, learn, dive in, um, check this stuff out, find a provider, um, you know, take courses, learn as much as you can. I, I think it's such a great sport. I am learning stuff every single day about running and there's still so much more to learn. That's what makes it really fun. So get out there and, and learn. And, and if we can be part of that journey, let us know. We're happy to be part of it and, uh, and appreciate uh, doing this together here. That's awesome. Just like we're lifelong runners, we're lifelong learners, right? And we're always exactly. learning. Yeah, I'm learning something new every day. And, you know, thanks again, Doug. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on the show. And I really look forward to honestly seeing more of your work and really diving a little bit deeper into some of the, the amazing content that you have. And you have like a bunch of courses on your website as well. Right. Um, and look forward to hopefully uh, getting you back on the show in the future. And, uh, you know, thank you to the listeners, honestly, whether you guys were listening on the podcast during a run, during your commute in or in our Healthy Runner Facebook group or the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Um, I appreciate all of you guys. Remember every week we do these podcasts uh, where we go live uh, with experts just like Doug. Um, so if you want to know what we're going to be talking about next, check out our Facebook group and you can check out the events tab to find out uh what the next topic will be. And if you show up, we'll answer your questions. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Doug. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be on and uh, love to be on again. And thanks for all the great work you do. Oh, my pleasure. And guys, as always, let's remember, let's stay active, let's stay healthy, and let's just keep on running. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one -on -one structure, accountability, and support, from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the behind the scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.